0: Good evening. Thank you all so much uh, for coming out tonight. This is a, a great turnout already and uh, I just want to take a moment to thank you uh, on behalf of Our Lady of Mount Carmel for coming tonight uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, mainly because of this, that your coming tonight is not just for you. Uh, your coming tonight is not just uh, to come to to hear Dr. Shree speak uh, because you've seen him uh, in formation series or EWTN, uh, your coming tonight is a response to your call to discipleship and a witness to your neighbor, uh, to, to me, to each other tonight. So thank you for responding to that and diving deeper into that call. Uh, our speaker tonight needs no introduction, but I'm going to introduce him because that's my job. So. Uh, Dr. Edward Tree is a theologian, author, and well-known Catholic speaker uh, from around the world, uh, making frequent appearances on EWTN, speaking to uh, parish leaders, catechists, clergy, all over the world. He's written several best-selling books, uh, many of which are in the Narthex, and you'll have a chance to purchase uh, in between the talks and at the end of tonight as well. You may have that book, but do you have a signed copy? right. You can get the signed copy tonight. Dr. Shree is also the host of the acclaimed film, film series Symbolon, The Catholic Faith Explained, uh, and many formation series that you have been through already. Uh, and if you haven't, go through them. You will learn your faith so much more. He's a founding leader with Curtis Martin of FOCUS, the Fellowship of Catholic University Students, where he currently serves as the Senior Vice President of Apostolic Outreach. Dr. Shree leads pilgrimages to Rome and the Holy Land every year, and we also have a sign-up in the Narthex to sign up for those pilgrimages. So please uh, check out that table, as well as a free newsletter that you can receive from him. Dr. Shree holds a doctorate from the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome, and he's an adjunct professor at the Augustine Institute in Denver. He currently resides with his wife, Elizabeth, and eight children in Littleton, Colorado. Please give a warm welcome to Dr. Edward Shree.
1: All right. Good evening. good evening. Oh, so good to be here. Isn't it good to be together again? Huh. Uh, it's, just, it's so exciting, you know, after 2020 of just looking at people on screens, it's so exciting when I see a packed church like this coming together, especially here in this Advent season. You know, I, I'm, I'm a Hoosier. I don't know if you all know that. So I, I came from, uh, I grew up in northwest Indiana. My folks live up in Munster, right there, uh, just outside of Chicago. Uh, <laughs> all right, we got some Munsterites here, okay. Um, uh, I went to Butler University for my first year, so Butler right here, go Bulldogs, uh, and then I, I transferred down to Indiana University in Bloomington, and I did not go to that other school in Indiana, so I'm just kidding, <laughs> my brother and sister went there, so we're, we're ecumenical, we like Purdue, okay. Uh, anyway, i uh, so glad to, to be here, but this parish is very dear to my heart not just because it's one of the most vibrant, on-fire Catholic parishes that I know about in the country. As I, and I travel all over, and, and to get to meet, uh, to meet people that love the Lord, are on fire for their faith, there's so much faith formation going on here, it's just awesome, but it's been like this for decades. Do you all remember someone named Monsignor Duncan? Yeah, you remember him? I don't know if you know this, but many, many years ago, he invited me to come speak here, way back in 1995. And this parish is dear to my heart because the first time I ever was invited to go give a talk and someone was paying to fly me somewhere uh, was here, your parish. So this is where it kind of all began, I guess, for me in in certain ways. I can remember being on that plane and just looking out the window and going, I'm flying somewhere to give a talk. This is what Scott Hahn does all the time. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for taking a chance on a rookie like me way back then. And so thrilled to be back with all of you here uh, this year for this Advent retreat. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, in the second presentation I give tonight, we're going to take a look at the heart of our Catholic faith, what happens right here on the altar every Sunday, every day of the year, where we come and encounter our Lord in the Mass. But many Catholics, they, they go through the motions. We know when to stand up, sit down, make the sign of the cross, but what's really going on? We know when to say hallelujah, thanks be to God, and with your spirit, but what does it all mean? All of the beautiful words and rituals of the Mass come alive if we understand the rich biblical background of the Mass. We're going to take a look at the Mass in the second presentation tonight, but here for the the first part in this Advent mission here, we're going to take a look at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, not just a Catholic that goes through the motions, a Catholic that believes, but how do I really encounter God in my day-to-day life? What is it that he wants to do in my heart? Is God really real in my life? Uh, and how do I strive to imitate Jesus evermore in my life, in my marriage, and my family? Uh, I'm going to be talking about two books that I have that are my two most recent books. One is the name of the talk, "Into His Likeness. And then the second one is my brand new book called The Art of Living, The Cardinal Virtues and the Freedom to Love. That's what we're going to look at here in the first session. Why don't we start off? with a word of prayer. Let's ask Mary, Our Lady, to to intercede for us here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Have any of you been to the Holy Land? Anyone been to the Holy Land? I love leading pilgrimages to the Holy Land, and I can't wait for Israel to to open up again, and we can go back and do that. But I want to take you to the Sea of Galilee right now, at least in your imagination. I want to take you right to the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's the first place after we land in Tel Aviv, we take a bus, we go up north, and I want to give the pilgrims an experience of something that looks like it did in the time of Jesus. Many of the other places in Israel, you know, they build big churches and cities build over those spots, so it doesn't quite look like it did in the time of Jesus, but the sea is still the sea. And you can go right there along the Sea of Galilee, and we go to this place where Jesus had a very Personal conversation with Peter. And he asked Peter this very personal question Do you love me? Now, at first glance, that question seems pretty basic, right? I mean, this is Peter, the disciple that followed Jesus around for three years as a disciple. I mean, of course he loves Jesus. This is Peter, the guy who got his name changed from Simon to Rock. You know, he's the rock, the foundation of the church. Of course he loves Jesus. Jesus. But there's something about the way Jesus asked the question that would make Peter pause. And if you read the biblical account in John 21, you might not notice it in the English. But in the Greek original Greek text, the word for love that Jesus uses is agape, agape, which describes total, sacrificial, unconditional love like the love that Jesus models for us on the cross. Jesus didn't use the other word for love that was common in that day, philia. Philia describes just ordinary human affection. It's good. There's there's true friendship there. But it's not that perfect, sacrificial, unconditional love. And when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with agape love, I think Peter's feeling a little uncomfortable that day. Now, now don't get me wrong. I think Peter earlier in his career, if asked, do you love me with agape love, he would have just jumped at that. Remember, Peter's really sanguine. He's very spontaneous and zealous and all, right? This is the Peter at at Last Supper. Do you remember what he did at Last Supper? He He said, oh, Jesus, I'll go anywhere with you. I'll go to prison with you. I'll even die with you. And what happens a few hours later that night? He denies Jesus three times. This is a different Peter. You see, this question came after Holy Thursday, after the threefold denials. Jesus has died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And now this is the first one-on-one conversation Peter has with Jesus. How do you think Peter is feeling right now after all he did on Holy Thursday night? And everyone's all excited, of course. Jesus rose from the dead. This is amazing. He's excited. But then, after a little while, you know, the party settles down, and then Peter—just put yourself in Peter's shoes. You're Peter, and then Jesus looks you in the eye and says, "Hey, Pete, let's go for a walk. I want to talk to you about something. <laughs> How are you feeling?" <laughs> and then, and then Jesus says to Peter, "Hey, so, hey, do you, do you love me with agape love?" Again, earlier, I think, in his life, Peter would have jumped at it and said, Of course I do! But Peter knows himself too well now. He knows what he did. This is a changed Peter, a humbled Peter, a Peter that has much more self-awareness. And you see him scrambling, kind of. You can picture him inside just feeling awful, and he goes, No, Lord, you know that I love you. That's what it says in English, but you know what it is in the Greek? Lord, you know that I love you with philia love. In other words, Peter's saying, I don't love you with that high-level, perfect, agape love. (laughs) I am so far from that. Lord, you of all people know how incapable I am of this agape love. The best I can give you is this weaker, imperfect philia love. It's a changed Peter, an honest Peter. But then Jesus comes and asks a second time, do you love me with agape love? And if you're Peter, like, oh, Lord, why are you asking a second time? Lord, no, you know I can't do that. I I totally miserably failed on Holy Thursday. The best I can give you is filial love. And then finally, the third time Jesus asks the question, he changes the word for love. He doesn't change the standard of what real love is, but he comes down to meet Peter where he's at. And he says... All right, Peter, will you love me at least with filial love? I'll take the best you can give. Do you love me with filial love? And that's when Peter comes back and says, Lord, you know everything. You know how weak I am, how incapable I am. You know this is the best I can give you, filial love. And now comes the most amazing part of the story. Are you ready? This is the part I'm most excited about. Uh, This is where the real transformation begins in Peter's life. Uh, You see, up to this point, Peter's been a good guy. He's been trying. He's done a lot of good things, done a lot of bad things. He, He was kind of mixed back, but now this is the moment of transformation. Now that Peter has finally learned to come to Jesus humble, as he really is, acknowledging his weakness... Now God can work and do this amazing thing in his life. What Jesus does, he goes on, he says, well, Peter, guess what? One day you will live agape love. Jesus gives a prophecy about what's going to happen to Peter. He says, Peter, one day you will go where you do not want to go. You will be led where you do not want to be led. And when your arms are stretched out wide, what's he talking about? He's talking about when Peter will be martyred in Rome when he's led into Nero's circus and his arms are stretched out wide on a cross. And he's crucified upside down in Nero's circus. Jesus is giving a prophecy, yes Peter, one day you will live agape love, because I'm gonna live it through you. I'm gonna do what you cannot do on your own. And and this is the pivotal moment in Peter's life. After this moment, Peter's transformed. Peter, who is such a coward, he's hiding behind the closed doors, worried the Romans are going to come get him on Easter Sunday morning, right? He's so afraid. He denied Jesus three times in, in Caiaphas's courtyard because uh, he's so scared what's going to happen to him. That same Peter is a changed man now. We're going to see just a, a, a few days later, a few weeks later, he's going to boldly proclaim Jesus Christ to 3,000 people on Pentecost. They're going to be baptized that day. We're going to see him go to prison, as he said he was, but he didn't want to earlier. Now he really will go to prison. And eventually, he'll be martyred in Rome. Peter will live agape love. I share the story. Why? Because the same transformation from filial love to agape love is the transformation God wants to work in you and me. The same transformation of meeting us in our weakness, in our struggles, in our failings, and allowing Christ to transform us. That's what he wants to do in all of us Disciples. This is what discipleship is all about. So you ready? We're going to talk about what what does it mean to be a disciple. You know, we hear this word in the Bible, the disciples follow Jesus. You must be my disciple. You read about discipleship and you're hearing a lot of buzz in the church about being a disciple. But what does it really mean? You know, does it mean you walk around with a Bible and follow Jesus? Like, what does it really mean to be a disciple? I, I want to tell you about this. There's one key biblical word. If you want to get to the heart of what discipleship really is in Scripture, I, I think you could sum it up with one key biblical word, and it's this imitation. Imitation. You see, the I- idea is that if you're a disciple, you imitate your rabbi. The word disciple means, in Greek, it's methetes, it means learner or student. But I don't want you to think of a student at IUPUI or at IU or Purdue uh, in, in a big lecture hall, you know, with hundreds of other students and there's a professor on the stage. Don't think of it like that, where the student's just taking a bunch of notes and have to spit it back at at the professor on an exam. Think of it this way. Uh, 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 Every disciple has a rabbi. The rabbi is the teacher. But in Jesus' times, in, in the biblical times, if you were a disciple, you didn't just show up for class on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with your rabbi. You shared life with your rabbi. You lived with your rabbi. You lived with your rabbi, you traveled with your rabbi, you shared meals with your rabbi, you studied with your rabbi, you prayed with your rabbi, you served the poor with the rabbi. And the goal of your formation wasn't just to have a lot of good head knowledge, you needed that too, but the goal was to imitate your master's way of life. Imitation, that was the goal. In fact, that's why Jesus himself says in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, verse 40, he says, that uh, when a disciple is fully trained, he becomes like the teacher himself. That's the goal, to live like your rabbi. And so you can imagine, if you're one of the disciples of Jesus in in the Bible, you're you're going around basically on a three-year camping trip with Jesus all over Galilee, a three-year camping trip. Have you ever gone camping with someone? You really get to know people when you go camping with them. But every day you're with Jesus for three years, and, you, and, and just think about what, it, what an impression that would leave on you. More than his teachings, it's his example that's going to rub off on you, right? Like Jesus might talk about it's important to pray, but you watch him every morning. He's getting up and going to a quiet place all by himself to pray to his heavenly Father. His example is going to leave a mark on you. Jesus talks about, oh, go be light to the world. Go love those that are suffering. But then every day you see Jesus urgently going out to the poor, to the sick, to the lepers. His whole way of life is going to arc on you. Jesus talks about love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Okay, that's nice words. But when you hear what Jesus says on Good Friday, as he's mocked and spit at and crucified on Calvary, and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That example of Christ is going is to move you more than anything you ever taught. This is what discipleship is all about. It's about imitating the rabbi. In fact, there was an, there was an ancient rabbinic expression that said, if you find a good rabbi, you want to walk so closely behind him that, that, that the dust of his sandals will cover, cover you. Cover yourself with the dust of the rabbi. And it's an image to see, like, a disciple would literally follow the the rabbi like this, and if you walk so close, the dust from his sandals would come all over you. And it's an image for you want, not the dust, but the dust of his life, the way of his life. This is what discipleship is. It's about thinking like Jesus, loving like Jesus, serving like Jesus, being patient like Jesus, forgiving like Jesus. That's why St. Paul says, when he's discipling the Christians in Corinth, what, is, what does it mean to follow Jesus? It's all about, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Oh, I took you to the Holy Land. I want to take you somewhere else. Anyone been to London? Anyone here been to London? Okay, if you go to London, you can go down into the subway system. What do they call it? The underground or the tube. You ever been down there? So if you go down to the subway system in London, you'll find these three words everywhere. They're all over the place. They're on the, they're on the, the cars that come in, the, the train cars that come in. They're on the platform where you're standing. They're on the walls. You hear these words on the loudspeaker. They're everywhere. What are these three words? Mind the gap. Mind the gap. What is it all about? You're on the platform. The train comes in, and there's a gap between the platform and the train. So what happens if you don't mind the gap when you're trying to board the train? You're going to fall. Mind the gap. Here's my question for you. Do you mind the gaps in your lives? Do you mind the gaps in your lives? This is what a disciple does. A disciple minds the gaps in their lives. They're, they're, they're aware, like Peter was that day. Peter wasn't aware of his gaps earlier. But that day on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he was acutely aware of his gaps in love, his gaps in courage, his gaps in faithfulness as a friend. Are you aware of the gaps in your life? For example, are you aware of the gaps in your prayer life? Like we know, as Catholics, we're supposed to pray. And maybe every once in a while, pray when it's convenient and it fits into our schedule. Maybe we'll say a little, bless us, O Lord, prayer. But a true disciple makes time every day for this most important relationship. You know, if I, I've been married almost 23 years to my wonderful wife, Beth. And we, we, we make sure we have time to talk together. If, if we have, you know, days go on and we're not having time for real conversation, that's not, that's a, our relationship's going to suffer. We know that from our marriages. How much more so with God? Do I actually take time to read his scriptures to allow his word to to saturate my mind and my heart? Do I take time to listen to him, to seek his guidance in my life, to pour out my needs to him, to thank him, to tell him I love him? Do I take time for prayer? Am I aware of the gaps in my prayer life, that I pray but I'm not consistent in prayer? Am I aware of the gaps in my marriage? You know, I, I love my wife, but I know that there are certain things I do. I'm not as thoughtful as I should be. I'm not as kind as I should be. I'm not as generous as I could be. I'm not thinking about things from her perspective as much as I should. Am I aware of those gaps? If I'm not aware of those gaps, I can never get better. I'll never work on growing to be a better husband and to love her the way she deserves to be loved. Am I aware of the gaps with my kids? Am I aware that maybe there's a certain kid that I've been too hard on? And and it's all been about the rules and it hasn't been about the relationship as much that he sees me more as just like this, this dictator or someone critiquing him and not as a true friend and someone that really loves him and praises him. Does he, does he, did, am I aware of that gap? Or on the flip side, maybe there's a kid that I just haven't spent much time with and disciplined. I haven't talked to them about you know, really living a virtuous life. When they got old, I didn't talk to them about pornography because that was just a weird topic. I don't want to do that. But in our world today, if a dad doesn't talk to their kids about pornography, just know... Dozens and dozens and hundreds and hundreds of other people will. And you're not going to want those voices in your kid's head. Am I aware of the gap that maybe I've fallen short in, in raising this child? Or maybe i made mistakes, and, but now it's never too late and I can, I can make up for those gaps. And I can rebuild the relationship. Am I aware of the gaps in my life? A true disciple doesn't just go through the motions in life. A true disciple is thinking about how do I become the person God wants me to be? How do I become the husband God wants me to be? How do I become the father God wants me to be? How do I become the child of God that my Heavenly Father wants me to be? You see, there's two questions every disciple asks. A true disciple is always asking, what am I made for? And they keep this in mind, what am I made for? I am made for transformation in Jesus Christ. I'm made to love like Jesus loves He's, my, he's my, my, my rabbi, I'm a disciple, I'm called to imitate him. He's the standard. Do I love like he loves? Do I serve like he serves? A- am I kind like he's kind? Am I generous like he's generous? Do I sacrifice like he sacrifices? We're made, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, to be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard of what we're all made for. So here's my question for you. Raise your hand. How many of you have reached that perfection? Anyone? No, If there is anyone, I want to meet you, because that's really cool. That means you're a saint. And if I come and shake your hand, I could become a third-class relic, and that would be really cool. (laughs) No, none of us have made that there, right? That's why there's the second question we have to ask, and that's the truth about myself. I'm aware of the truth about myself. This is what I'm made for, but this is where I am. And this is the truth of myself. Edward Sri, right here, December 1st, 2021. I've got some good qualities. I've got some some virtues in my life. I really do love God, and I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my friends. I really do. But I know my weaknesses. I fall short in so many ways. I know my many fears. I know my many insecurities. I know my many weaknesses. My, My sins, my wounds from my past keep me. I'm giving the best of myself to the God I love, and the wife I love, and the kids I love. I know there's a gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. How do I get from where I am right now to where God wants me to be? That's what discipleship is all about. You know, I want to highlight this here. Um, In my introduction... When Thomas read my introduction, I was really sad. He, he, he left out something really important. Where is Thomas? Are you here? He's in the back. Yeah, he, you didn't mention about my basketball skills. He forgot to mention that. You know, if I told you I'm an amazing basketball player, I am an awesome basketball player. I'm so good. LeBron needs a guy like me on his team to get another ring. You'd all go, wow, I, I didn't know that about you, Edward Sree. I mean, I've read some of your books or saw you on EW. I didn't know about all the basketballs. So, what, what, what makes you so good at basketball? I said, Oh, let me tell you, I'm really, really good at following all the rules. I'm amazing at following the rules of basketball. I don't go out of bounds. I don't double-dribble. I don't travel with the basketball. I'm an NBA all-star, really. I mean, it is so amazing. Yeah, you all are mocking me, as you should. (laughs) Because, you know, while following the rules is absolutely essential, it's just the beginning point, right? It's just permission to play. It doesn't make me a great basketball player. If I don't have the skills of shooting or dribbling or passing or blocking out, I'm never going to be a great basketball player. And the same is true with our walk with our Lord and our faith. I'm not a great Catholic or a great disciple just because I follow all the rules. And I want to be clear, don't get me wrong, it's important we follow the church's teachings, especially in an age that just jettisons that and just says, we can just do whatever we want in life. We don't need any moral compass. It, it, it is crucial that we follow the church's teachings, of course. But we shouldn't pat ourselves on the back for that. You know, we just go, hey, let me tell you, I'm an amazing Christian. I mean, I believe in God. <laughs> like, I in that, that puts me in the, you know, 60th percentile. <laughs> I go to church every Sunday. Okay, wow, now I'm in, like, the 80th percentile. I even go on those holy days of obligation, like, next week, the solemnity, the immaculate conception, I'm going to be there. Oh, wow, now I'm, like, 95 percentile. I'm just an amazing Catholic. <laughs> and then I even follow all those tough moral teachings the church talks about. Wow, 99th percentile, I am just amazing. Again, don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it's essential, we do all that. But that doesn't make us a great Christian. It's essential, but it's just the starting point. What's the real question I want to be asking? Imitation. Jesus is the standard, not the rest of the secular world. I shouldn't be comparing myself to the secular world. I should be comparing myself to the saints. Like that, 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 a, a great Christian is someone that is living like Jesus, loving like him. And when I look at that, I see the many ways that I fall short. It's not enough just to follow the rules, believe the right things, say the right things, and do the right things. So what do we do with this? If we're going to be a true disciple then, we, the first step in being a disciple then is to strive to imitate Christ. I'm going to try to live like him. And what do you notice, when, if you've ever, many of you, I remember, you all had Christ Renews His Parish here, way back when nobody even knew what that was. I remember, way back in 1995, it was here. Uh, and many of you maybe were deeply affected by that. Maybe some of you, you had a conversion moment when you were in college, or maybe it was when you got married, or maybe after you had your first kid. There's, you, know, you all have like that. maybe a moment where your faith became more important to you, it wasn't just something you did on Sunday. And what do you find? Like once, once you realize, okay, hey, you know, I want to take my faith seriously, I, I want to really you know, live this Christian thing well, you find that when you strive to imitate Jesus, it's really, really easy to be holy, right? Just kidding. You start to realize how hard it is. You know, it's kind of like this is what happens when my kids, whenever we go to the mall, I don't know if your kids do this, my kids are crazy, we go to the mall and this always happens. All of a sudden, they see it, and like one kid just starts running after it. And then the second kid sees the, the first kid running, and they go, oh, there it is, and then he runs. And then the other kid run, runs, and then she runs. Now, finally, all of my eight kids, they're just running toward this thing. What is it? It's the escalator. They love the escalator. They just run to the escalator. But then they go up the escalator. But you know which escalator they go up? The downward escalator. So, they love to go up the downward escalator. I'm like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, but what happens when you're going up the downward escalator? You have to work really, really hard, right? When you're just coasting on the downward escalator, what's it doing? It's just taking you down. And that's how most of the people live in the world. You're just kind of coasting in life and, and you're, you're not striving to overcome any weakness. You're just living life and it's just the world and your own selfishness just carries you down. But once you start to try to work against that, you realize. It's hard. It's not easy. It reminds me of my daughter, uh, Josephine. She's my curly haired 11 year old. But when she was younger, we left her with a babysitter and a bunch of other kids from the neighborhood. And we came back and we asked the babysitter, hey, how did things go? Everyone do okay? Oh, yeah, everyone was great. But there was one interesting moment with Josephine. I said, oh, what happened? She said, well, you know, the kids were dog piling and Josephine jumped on top of the dog pile. And all I said was, hey, Josephine be careful. But as soon as I said it, Josephine jumped off the dog pile and stood up really nervous and said, okay. And so then the babysitter asked Josephine, Josephine, what's wrong? And Josephine says, I'm trying to be good. I've been trying. And the babysitter just smiles and says, well, how's that been going for you, Josephine? Josephine almost starts to cry she says, It's really hard. <laughs> it's hard to be good. That's true not just for little kids, but for us adult children of God. And so what happens is we're trying to be better in our prayer life, in our marriage, with our children. We're trying to be better, but we fall short. This is my daughter Eleanor. I'm going to tell you about little Eleanor. This is a couple years ago. She's a little older now. But have you ever seen a kid take the first step? Pretty fun when a child takes the first step, but have you ever seen a kid take their first jump? That is hilarious. I love it when the kids try to figure out how to jump because it's so unintuitive, right? So, they, all the older siblings took Eleanor into the living room and made a big circle around her, and they're trying to teach her how to jump. And they're all jumping, you know? And Eleanor's going like this. You know, I don't get what this is about. And they say, okay, Eleanor, ready here, bend your knees. So they bend her knees, and then you're going to push off the ground. Ready? Three, two, one, jump. And they all jump like this, and Eleanor goes like this. No takeoff. <laughs> and she's laughing and they're laughing. And then she tries again to go, okay, ready? Three, two, one, jump. And they all jump really high, and once again, no takeoff. <laughs> and they're all laughing together. But after about six or seven failed takeoffs, Josephine or I'm sorry, Eleanor was not laughing anymore. She was getting frustrated. She was getting discouraged. And she just started saying, No jump. No jump and she just didn't want to try anymore. Do you have areas of your life where you feel like that? Like you're wondering, why is this part of my life not taking off? I set out on this career and it just didn't turn out the way I thought. How come my prayer life is it, I try to pray, I just don't know how and it's boring and I get distracted. How come my prayer life isn't taking off? I've got this weakness. And I just struggle with this all the time. I just can't stop. And I keep bringing the same sin to confession over and over again. How come it's just not taking off? How come my marriage isn't taking off? How, how come my family life, my relationship with the, this kid isn't taking off? We, we, we can feel this way in life where we're striving, but it's just not working. And we could get frustrated. We could get discouraged. This is our Peter moment. This is our moment when, like Peter, we come to realize the truth about ourselves. I'm gonna tell you about another one of my kids, little Kiara. She's quite the artist. She draws pictures for me all the time. I'm gonna share a picture that she drew for me when she was about three and a half years old. This is amazing. Can I show this to you? Check this out here. (laughs) See this? (laughs) Just a bunch of scribbles. What would you think of a dad? that, you know, she hands me this picture, and I say, oh, what, what is that? And she says, that's you, Daddy. <laughs> I'm looking at it. What would you think of a father that yelled at the daughter and ripped up the picture and yelled at the daughter saying, this is a horrible picture. Don't you ever try to draw me a picture again until you get it exactly right. No good dad would do that. But our Heavenly Father in Heaven when he sees areas of our lives that look like this, and we all have them, there's some of you here right now that realize I, I've made a bunch of messes with my life. My, my life is a bunch of scribbles. I hurt this person. I, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I wouldn't have made that decision a long time ago. I made a bad choice. Maybe some of you just feel like I'm just drowning in parenthood right now. I've got, I see a bunch of moms and dads here. With they look like you've got little kids at home, and you just feel like you're just drowning. You just feel like, I don't have it all together. I used to have it all together when I was in the office and all my friends see me. It's really great. But man, at home, I just lose it all the time. I just can't keep up with it all and I feel like it's a bunch of scribbles. Your Father sees, your Father in heaven sees more than these scribbles. He sees your heart. He sees your good intention, your desire that you want to pray, that you want to to be better. You want to keep your patience with your children. You want to serve your husband and understand where he's coming from. You want to, to, to be a better husband and, and love your wife. But you want these things, but you know you fall short. Your father sees more than the scribbles. He, he, sees, he sees your desire. That's what I, that's, that's what I saw with, with Kiara. Kiara, it wasn't the, the final product that I cared about. It was her heart that she, she was, wanted to draw her daddy a gift. That's what's most amazing here. So here's what I want, I want to highlight is this. I'm going to share with you something from one of my favorite saints, Saint Therese of Lisieux. Anyone love Saint Therese here? Saint Therese, so Saint Therese, she once wrote a letter to her sister, who, like many of us, feel overwhelmed by the weight of life and our weaknesses, our scribbles. <laughs> and 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 the and the sister was was writing Therese in the convent and saying, you know, I just I feel like there's just a mountain of imperfections that I have. You know, and I'm never going to be able to, to get to the top of the mountain and overcome all these weaknesses and meet God. And Therese writes back this beautiful line and says, You're trying to scale the mountain of sanctity, but God wants to meet you down low in the fertile valley of humility. You're trying to scale the mountain of sanctity, but God wants to meet you down low down here in the fertile valley of humility. In other words, God doesn't want to meet you up here in this ideal vision you have for yourself, for your marriage, for your family life, for your your spiritual life. God doesn't want to meet you up there. Do you know why? Because you're not there right now. I already asked you. Has anyone reached that perfection? You all told me no. So none of you are there. God wants to meet the real you, where you are right now. In your weakness, with your scribbles, with those struggles, because that's where you're at, and God loves the real you, not the you that you like to present to everybody, everybody else, not the you that you try to be to please all those dysfunctional family members at Christmas time, not the you that you post on social media, you know, and the Christmas picture you. No, 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 the real you. God knows what you're going through right now. He knows all those fears you have. He knows those anxieties you're carrying. He knows those burdens that you're shouldering. He knows those weaknesses. He knows those angry thoughts, those impatient thoughts, those lustful thoughts. He knows it all. And you know what? He looks you in the eye and says, I know everything about you. I know about all those scribbles. I know about all those messes in your soul. And you know what? I love you. I am madly in love with you so much that I sent my son to come die for you. Because my love is freely given. It is not a love that you can earn. That's what Peter finally came to learn on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. That's that, that, and that's, the, that's what God wants us to learn. You see, we live in a world where we think we have to earn love. I earn love by my performance. Did I perform well? you know, when I'm young, in the classroom, in the athletic field, and all my music lessons, and, 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 the, and the scholarships I win, and all, you know, and did I get the right internship and get the right job? The pressure young people feel today as they're comparing themselves all over the place, especially on social media. I've got to have all these things that are, or are my life is just crushed. They find their identity, their self-worth, their love in, in performance. But we, even older adults, it's the same thing. Real love cannot be earned. You can't earn it from a parent, you can't earn it from a coach, you can't earn it from a boss, and you certainly can't earn it from God. It has to be freely received. And that's what happens when we dare, like Peter, to allow Jesus to meet us, to love us in the midst of all that we're struggling through, because he wants to come and meet us there to transform us. But he can't do his great miracles in our lives, of transforming us, of healing the roots of our sins and our fears, their weaknesses, our hurts. He can't do that until we dare to meet him in the valley of humility, until we dare to come to him as we really are. So that's what happens. When we come and dare to meet Jesus as we really are, we, we experience how loved we are, how forgiven we can be, and his amazing, amazing healing in our lives. So this is all, these are all the major themes that we look at in, in this, this, this book that I wrote called Into His Likeness, Be Transformed as a Disciple of Christ. It's taken from 2 Corinthians 3.18, where Jesus says the whole walk with God is a lifelong process of being changed into Christ's likeness from one degree of glory to another. Allow Jesus this Advent season to change you more. Walk away from Advent with more space in your heart to encounter, to receive his love, because it's only then that I can actually then be better at prayer, be better as a husband, be better as a father, and all these other things. Now, with that in mind, I want to turn to another topic here. Any of you like flying? I'm weird. Thomas was asking me about how my flight was, and I tell him I actually kind of like flying. Uh, Today I like flying because it's one of the few times in my life I get quiet and I I don't have any meetings interruptions I I can just think get a lot of writing done like many of my books my last probably eight books Probably a third were written in chapels a third were written in my study room at Hall and then a third of the book was written on airplanes (laughs) Uh, So I love flying but even as a little kid I get excited about flying and I would, I would go with, uh, on a trip with my dad. He'd take me with him, and I would just be amazed being 35,000 feet in the air. Uh, I'm looking down on the clouds. It's just the, the idea of being up in the air like that is just, I don't know, I get excited about it. But here's my question for you. If I heard, let's say I heard that you needed to fly. You need to fly to Los Angeles. And I heard about that, and I said, oh, you want to fly to Los Angeles? Let me fly you to Los Angeles. I love flying. I'm passionate about flying. I've got strong feelings about flying. Would you get in the airplane with me in the cockpit? No way, right? I don't have the skills of a pilot. Same thing, true story. My dad was a surgeon. He's one of the top surgeons in the south side of Chicago, northwest Indiana area. And, uh, and he would take me as a kid to go eat his pizza meet his patients at the hospital. I would look at pictures of his surgery. I I would look at anatomy books. as a little eight-year-old, you know, so I'm kind of weird, you know, but I got into this idea of surgery, and I have great respect and esteem for surgeons today, And, and let's say I heard you needed surgery, and I said, oh, I love surgery. Here, you, you get on the operating table. Let me perform your surgery. I'm passionate about surgery. Would you get on the operating table with me as your surgeon? I'm not that kind of doctor. <laughs> right? I mean, this is common sense. No one would get in the airplane with someone that doesn't have the skills of a pilot. No one would get on the operating table with someone that doesn't have the skills of a surgeon. And yet, how many people today, how many young people jump into friendships Dating relationships, marriage, without ever asking the question of virtue. Does this person have the skill, the ability to consistently love me? Because love is so much more than just about feelings and emotions and passions. Do I have the skill, do I have the virtue to be able to love? You see, because fr- virtue gives us the freedom to love. This is, this is the, um, uh, one, of, one of the key things I, I want us to ponder here, is that anybody can say, I love you. Anybody can say that. Some people might sincerely mean it, but it's only the person that imitates Christ, possesses virtue, that actually has the capacity, the ability to love. You know, when, when I was a kid and I heard about virtues, I used to think of the virtues as like something for me. I had a very individualistic understanding of the virtues. Like, you know, I remember going to Catholic grade school and you'd hear about fortitude, piety, fear of the lord. There'd be these banners in the church about various virtues. And I remember thinking, "Oh, that that's good for me. I want to grow in virtue. That's like a good self-improvement plan. I want to improve and get better." You know, And that's fine, but I think it was too individualistic. It was like, you know, these are like badges that I earned, like to be a good Boy Scout for Jesus, I'm going to grow in virtues. But if you look at the Catholic tradition, and just as I've grown older in life, I see that virtue isn't about just me. My wife needs me to be virtuous. My children need me to be virtuous. The people in the office need me to be virtuous. It's not just about me. You see, because to the extent that I can have the virtues of generosity, patience, courage, prudence, for example, I can then do generous, patient, prudent, courageous things that bless the people in my life. But to the extent that I lack generosity, I will do selfish things that hurt my wife Beth. I don't want to do those things. I don't want to hurt her. And no matter how many feelings I have for her, I will end up hurting her. I know I have many times because of my lack of virtue. I don't want to hurt my kids, but I know that when I lack patience, when I give in to impatience and I lose my temper, I hurt them. I don't want to do that. But I need to grow in virtue so I can love my wife and love my kids better. I need to grow in the va- virtue of courage. For example, in the office, courage isn't just something I need to work on, it's something I, my, my teammates need me to work on. If, let's say, like, the company gives me this big project on a tight deadline and our plates are already full and, and I'm just discouraged by that or I'm like complaining and whining about it or frustrated about it, that's not helpful to my team. My team will be hurt by that. They need me. I mean, hey, all right, we got a lot to do here. I, I honestly don't know how we're going to get this all done. I admit that, but I believe in this team. I believe we can figure it out. We can prioritize. We can do this. They need me to be courageous. When I lack courage, it hurts them. When I lack patience, that just, that's not an Edward Street problem, simply. It's a problem for my kids. When I lack generosity, that's not just an Edward Street problem, it's a problem for my wife. When I lack prudence, and I just spend money on things that I shouldn't spend money on, that doesn't just affect me. It affects the whole Sri family. Virtue gives us the freedom to love. But to the extent we lack virtue, to that extent, we're not able to love the people around us as well as we should. I'm going to tell you about when my wife and I were two years into our marriage. We had one baby, and we into our first house so excited had our first home big backyard a deck and gentlemen what's the last thing we need to complete the picture the grill exactly we needed the grill my my folks bought us an anniversary gift that summer a grill And they told me it was coming in in by UPS. This big box was going to show up on a certain day. I was so excited to have a grill on my deck in my big backyard. It was amazing. So I I went to the store, got steaks that morning. They were marinating all day. And then sure enough, that UPS truck shows up late afternoon. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to cook my steaks. Now, this year, you know, we've been celebrating the year of St. Joseph. You all familiar with the year of St. Joseph? And uh, you know Joseph is amazing, and I always turn to Joseph as a model husband, a model father. You know, I want to imitate his virtues. But there's one quality of Joseph's I know I will never possess, and that's his carpentry skills. I'm I, I, Joseph is a carpenter. I'm really bad at, at building things, putting things together. Whenever something's broken in the house and I'm trying to fix it, my wife's like, "Hey, you know, honey, we, we could call someone." Early on in our marriage, my in laws got me one of those black and yellow books called Home Improvement for Dummies. I opened up, I'm like, thank you, I I, I think. What are you saying about me? (laughs) So here I was, all excited for my grill to show up. UPS, the big box comes, I take it back out on the deck, I open up the box, I look inside. There's not a grill in there. There wasn't a grill inside, it was a bunch of pieces and an instruction manual. And I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my goodness! I mean, it's like 25 steps. I, I don't. I'm never going to get this together. Oh, I got to do it quickly because we got to get dinner going. Oh my goodness! I thought a grill was showing up, and I got to put this together. So I'm trying to put all the pieces, because you know, in the right you know groupings, and make sure I don't mess anything up. Because I'm, so, I know how bad I am at this. And my little toddler comes, kind of hobbling in and starts kicking around the pieces. And I'm like, oh, we got to keep the baby out of here, honey. I, I really got to focus now. So I'm trying to put this thing together, and I'm working through it, I get to like step 16 and it's actually starting to take some shape. It's starting to look like a grill a little bit. We're almost there to the finish line, I'm thinking. But then my heart sinks when I realize I skipped step six. (laughs) Now I've got to dismantle the whole thing and go all the way back. I was so frustrated. Um, and right at that moment, my wife, you know, she's the cheerleader, trying to come down and encourage me. Hey, honey, it's looking good. It's starting to look like a grill. You got this. And I'm like, uh, uh, actually, no, I, I skipped step six. I, I got to go all the way back. I, I, this isn't good. And then the baby starts coming in. Like, can, can you keep the baby out of here? Have you ever been around people when they're stressed out like that? <laughs> kind of like, whoa, okay, we'll just go over here right now. You know, And, and I realized that day my my lack of, in that, in that case, it's the lack of the virtue of perseverance, a little bit of patience, but mostly perseverance, kept me from loving Beth the way I want to love her. And the children, my my little daughter, from loving the way I want to love her. That that wasn't just like a little problem for me. It's a problem for other people when I don't work on growing in virtue. That's why it's so important we think about this in the Lenten season. It's a great time to think about what is the virtue God's inviting me to grow in? How do I imitate Jesus more? What virtue of Christ is Jesus inviting me to think about more? Anyone like soccer? Any, any soccer fans here? Street family, we're big soccer fans here. So we love soccer. My kids play. They all play competitive soccer. They're really good. I love organizing games. We get young people from Focus, from the Augustine Institute. Uh, we get old dads like me, young kids playing. It's just what way we do these fun games. Pretty competitive, uh, but a lot of fun. And my kids are really good. Like, you give the ball to my boys or my daughter Josephine. I mean, they just got great touch. They look up. They can move the ball. They can pass the ball. Make a run. They can score. They do great things when you give them the ball. I don't have those skills. I love the game. I'm passionate about soccer. But, I, 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 like, you get the ball to me, it's like 50-50 whether I'm going to trap it properly or make a good pass. I might give the ball away. And so at critical moments of the game... I could tell, like, my teammate is over there, and I'm like, hey, I'm open! And he looks over at me, and he just passes to one of my kids. (laughs) He doesn't want to pass to me. I get it, because I wouldn't want to pass to me at a critical moment of the game, right? Um, but, But I'm not as reliable. My kids are reliable with the ball. They're dependable. You can count on them. The same is true in life. Are you reliable? Are you the kind of person people can lean on, that they can count on consistently? You know how there's certain people in your life, you know if you needed a favor, you needed like someone, it's going to be a little bit of an inconvenience for that person, but you know that they're going to be right there for you? That's a virtuous friend. Then there's other people you know, if I ask that family member, or I ask that friend, or I ask that coworker, or even I ask that kid, they're going to whine, going to, they might do it, but kind of begut- You know what I'm talking about? There's some people you know, if I entrust a task to, they're going to do it, do it really well, I don't have to think about it. Then there's others you're like, I'm worried it's just not going to go well. How are you in life? Are you dependable? Are you reliable? That's what virtue is all about. Virtue is the habitual disposition to do the good. We do it consistently. We do it easily. We do it promptly. We do it with joy. Like a PGA golfer goes right up to the tee. They they consistently hit the ball down the fairway. It's easy for them. It's second nature. They don't have to think about it. And there's a lot of joy when they play. When I go on the golf course with my friends, I sometimes might hit it down the fairway, and most of the time it's going in the woods over there, or the pond over there, or a ground ball up the middle. Wrong sport. It's not easy for me. It's not second nature. And, and, and when I play, there's usually not a lot of joy. <laughs> so I want to close with this whole idea. If, again, we're minding the gaps in our lives. We're seeking to imitate Jesus more. What are the ways that we go after growing in virtue? How do I grow in virtue? Um, I, I just want to step back and highlight how, how important this is, this idea of growing in virtue, because in our world today, the, um, we've lost the sense of virtues. You know, Pope Benedict once said that in the modern era, the problem isn't simply that we lost faith. we don't know the Bible, we don't know the Catechism. The problem's much deeper. We don't know how to Lost the art of living. We've lost the art of living. We don't know how to live friendship. Young people don't know how to live dating relationships. So many young couples, my wife and I, we mentor a lot of young couples in Denver. Just in the last three weeks, we've been out with three different couples. Uh, and, and they're all they're great-hearted, great Catholics, but they're just like, we didn't have good examples with our parents growing up. We don't see marriage lived out well in the world. How do you live marriage? We don't know the basics of how to live life anymore. We've lost the art of living. But the good news is there's a great tradition on the art of living life, and that's known as the virtues. So how do we grow in virtue really quick in closing? First of all, we have to educate ourselves in the virtues. If I don't really know what the virtues are, I can't aim and and go after it. Most Catholics, I would say probably 90% of Catholics, 95% I'm going to go venture to say, couldn't name the four cardinal virtues, the hinge virtues, that for about three millennia have been understood by Christians, by Jews, by great Greek thinkers like Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, and others, to be like the the basic virtues you need to live life well. And then I would say the 5% that could name the four cardinal virtues, prudence, temperance, fortitude, justice, wouldn't know what are the sub-virtues you need to be a prudent man, to be a courageous man. How, how do I live self-control? And what are the weaknesses that undermine that? We, so, this is just the stuff that was passed on from generation to generation in, in an authentic Catholic culture centuries ago. We don't have that anymore, but we can rediscover it. We need to understand what the virtues are, to learn about them so that we can aim to grow in them and to love more. Second thing, we have to go after much effort. We have to put a lot of effort into it. It's not like I just read about the virtues. I have to try to be more virtuous. So, for example, how do you be more virtuous? It's not like just saying no to bad things. It's, it's, it's how do I, If I know I've got this weakness, how do I practice the virtue that undermines that weakness? In other words, let's say I, I talk a lot. I dominate conversation. Well, maybe instead of saying, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to talk. Instead, when I'm with my friends or I'm at lunch with my my colleagues, instead of me talking all the time, I ask them questions. So tell me, how was your weekend? What did you think about the Colts game? What do you think about what the boss said? Like, you ask them, you draw them into conversation. Or maybe you fall into anxiety a lot. There's a lot of anxiety in our world today where people are anxious. They're anxious about their finances. They're anxious about their careers. They're anxious about the virus. They're anxious about where the country's going. There's a lot of anxiety. They're anxious about the future. They want to control everything. I want to control everything because I don't want to have to suffer and I'm worried if this happens. Well, instead of just saying, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. Remember, anxiety is never from God. Having genuine concern, thinking things through, of course God wants us to use our minds but he never wants us to lose our interior peace. When we lose that inner peace, that trust in God, that God is going to take care of me no matter what, that's, that's the devil rattling me. That's anxiety. So what do I do in those moments? I don't just say, oh, I can't be anxious, can't be anxious. No, practice the opposite virtue. Like, put good things in your mind to remind you the truth. Like, say St. Faustina's prayer. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Or the next time you're tempted to fall into anxieties, have Romans 8.28 in your mind that where God, St. Paul says, in all things, in all things, God works for good in those who love him. In all things, so even if this thing I'm worried about happens at the office, happens at the parish, happens with my home, happens with my kids, no matter what happens, I trust that in all things, God will use it to bring good for me and for other people. That's the truth. So we, we have to put much effort to not be a slave to our emotions, to our fears, to our anxieties. Last thing, You can memorize the virtues, try as hard as you might, but you're still going to find yourself in your Peter moments. You're going to find corners of your soul that are pretty scribbly. And that's where we have to learn to rely ever more on God's grace to heal me, to comfort me, to change me, so I can love as Jesus loves. So much more I wish that I can get into with you here this evening. I'll share with you here. Uh, This is the, the first book that I talked about, uh, is into his likeness. This is all about if you want to encounter Jesus more not just go through the motions with your faith But experience his love his healing that inner transformation. That's what this book is about into his likeness The second book that I just shared with you it's the art of living, the carp virtues and the freedom of love taken from Pope Benedict's line that we've lost the art of living so each of these books are 17 Uh, Tonight, Advent special here as you're getting ready for Christmas, you can get both of them and a signed copy uh, for $30. It's cheaper than you can find on Amazon or anywhere else. So each are 17, or you can get them both for $30. The third talk that I'm going to talk about tonight is A Biblical Walk Through the Mass. We're going to come back after a 15-minute break. I'm going to talk about the Mass. Uh, And this one, uh, if you get this one on top of the others, you can get the three books for $40. And the last book I want to present to you here is this is a, a, if you're looking to try to focus in the Advent season, to really live Advent as a Catholic. It's so hard in the month of December where there's so much busyness and stress and packing and cooking and buying and mailing. How do I really keep my spiritual focus on what matters most in the season to prepare my heart for Jesus? These are daily scriptural reflections for the Advent season, and it carries you all the way through Christmas to Epiphany, where it's the life of Mary, Jesus, and Joseph in the Bible, the whole story of the Christmas story, to have it written on your heart in small little pieces. To, it comes with little reflection questions for each day. If you're looking for something to feed your soul in the Advent season, you could check
0: out this one as well.
1: All right, Thomas, do you have any closing announcements? Okay.
0: First off, let's uh, show our appreciation to Dr. Shree for that first talk. <clears throat> As Dr. Shree mentioned, we'll have a, a brief, uh, intermission here about 15 minutes or so that you can step into the Narthex and perhaps purchase uh, a book or two or, or more. Uh, in just a second, there's going to be some baskets passed around through the pews uh, for a free will offering tonight that your generosity helps us to continue to bring amazing speakers like Dr. Shree out uh, to, to teach us and, and encourage us. So uh, those baskets will be passed out right now, and uh, there's, they'll also be there at the uh, cashier's table as well. Uh, there will also be a brief uh, promotion for Exodus 90. If you've been curious about that, uh, stick around and hear in just a minute.
1: You want to be really generous with the basket here so you can get a better speaker next year. That's the whole idea. Yeah. No, but I'll say this: I just want to mention one thing. This book here that just came out, this is the one that everywhere I've been speaking, I, I've, I've just seen so many people resonate with this one. I'll be honest, most people who buy books, 70% of them are women. Uh, this book here, I've seen like so many men buy it, and they tell me, why, do I, why did I get, I ask them, why did you get this one? Cause I'm noticing so many men, they say, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to grow in the virtues. So if you're looking for something, not just for yourself, if you want multiple copies like to give away at Christmas here, uh, again, I'm happy to sign them all, and you can get the discount even on these as well here, so. All right, thanks so much. I'll see you in the back.